This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the root causes of post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer with our associate editor, Jeffrey Lee, who's a research scientist and attending gastroenterologist at Kaiser Permanente San Francisco, and we'll be discussing his summary in the January 2024 issue of Evidence-Based GI, which looked at a recent publication of the Danish post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer population and which utilized the new World Endoscopy Organization algorithm for defining the root cause of post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. So welcome back, Dr. Lee. And as always, let's start by discussing why identifying the root cause of post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer is so important for our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Phil, for having me back. So this topic's incredibly important. As you know, in the United States, colonoscopy is the most common screening test for colon cancer. It is the primary diagnostic procedure for evaluating a positive, non-invasive screening test or even signs and symptoms related to colon cancer. And in fact, over 15 million colonoscopies are performed in the United States annually. But unfortunately, colonoscopy is not perfect and cancers can be diagnosed after a clearing colonoscopy where no polyps are found or when all the polyps that are detected are completely removed. So to improve the quality of the colonoscopy, the World Endoscopy Organization recently you know, developed a consensus statement and methodology to better classify PCCRCs or post-colonoscopy colorectal cancers into their most plausible explanations. However, only a few studies have actually utilized this methodology, and most were limited by their sample size. And so to address this, these limitations, the authors performed a root cause analysis for 762 PCCRC cases diagnosed in central Denmark. And this is probably a good place to pause for a moment to just educate our listeners about the different categories or plausible explanations in the World Endoscopy Organization algorithm, specifically that when a post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer is diagnosed, that by going back and reviewing the records from the colonoscopy, that they can be classified as possibly a missed lesion when the exam was adequate, went to the seat gum and you had a good prep, or a missed lesion during an inadequate colonoscopy, meaning the prep might not have been adequate or you didn't get all the way to the cecum, but the colonoscopy wasn't repeated on a timely basis, or that there was a detected lesion that for some reason was not removed and the patient didn't come back for another colonoscopy to get that detected lesion removed, or the fourth category is that likely a polyp was identified but was not completely resected, and that incompletely resected polyp ultimately led to the post-colonoscopy colon cancer. Now, Jeff, I know you're an expert on this topic. The limited data we have from prior studies indicates what about the most common reasons for post-colonoscopy colon cancers? The data that we have to date um, in the published literature, one from the UK and one from the United States, the most common cause or potential plausible cause to explain these PCCRCs are missed lesions, uh, particularly in the right side of the colon. This would con constitute about 80% uh, to 85% 
of the potential causes of PCCRC, so mislesions. And the next one would be incompletely resected lesions, and this would constitute about 10 to 15%. You know, why is the right side of the colon, the cecum and the ascending colon, a likely place for a lesion to be missed and ultimately become a post-colonoscopy colon cancer? Great question, Phil. I mean, these lesions in the right side of the colon can be incredibly subtle. They can be flat and morphology, and they can blend really well with the mucosa and the surrounding walls. They have irregular borders, some of these lesions, particularly the sessile serrated lesions, and they'd be easily hidden behind the folds. And so it's really important to do a detailed withdrawal and, and matting down the folds so that you can expose the proximal sides of the hostile folds. Let me go back to the study and encourage our listeners to look at the January issue of Evidence-Based GI, where you provide a really elegant summary of this research study, which looked at the National Health Registry and electronic medical records from the central Denmark region from 1995 to 2021. And during that period, 762 post-colonoscopy colon cancers were identified. And this means a colon cancer identified anywhere from six to 48 months after the index colonoscopy. And one of the strengths of this study is that this is really the first population-based study and the largest study to utilize these World Endoscopy Organization criteria when going back and looking at the electronic medical records. And what they found, similar to what you said, was that 81% of those post-colonoscopy colon cancers occurred because of a missed lesion in what was considered a adequate colonoscopy to the cecum with an adequate prep and 11% occurred because most likely there was an incompletely resected lesion and subsequently a post-colonoscopy colon cancer was found. Now, having said that, there are some nuances here. And I wanted to ask you, Jeff, what do you think were some of the additional key findings from this study? I think the two striking findings that came from the study were, number one, you know, mislesions continue to be the largest proportion of PCCRCs. What was even more striking was that most of the PCCRCs occurred not only in the proximal colon, but in the rectum. I think 23% actually occurred in the rectum, which really highlights the importance of really doing a comprehensive check uh, of the colon, particularly in the rectum and the proximal colon. And additionally, the second most common cause of PCCRCs or plausible uh, explanation would be an incomplete resection. And so that is another important point that's been consistent across, not just across three studies now. And I know we're going to talk in a moment about how endoscopists can minimize the likelihood of an incomplete resection, but but I have to pause on a topic that it, that is always important to me as a researcher, which is bowel prep. I've done a fair number of studies about bowel prep and what was noted here was that the bowel prep was classified as poor, fair, good, or excellent in the Danish system. And in terms of doing this root cause analysis, the researchers initially considered a fair prep to be adequate 
along with a good or excellent PrEP. However, when they did an additional supplementary analysis and considered fair PrEP to be inadequate, all of a sudden, the frequency of having a missed lesion with an inadequate exam rose from about 4% to about 20%, which really seems to suggest that if it's only a fair PrEP, that's probably not adequate and your risk of missing a lesion goes up quite a bit. Yeah, that's an, a very important point. I mean, to better understand and properly classify bowel preparation really underscores the importance of really bringing these patients back in a timely manner. A fair PrEP is really is actually considered inadequate, and uh, I'm glad you made that important. That's something we've discussed in other podcasts, but hopefully more of our endoscopy colleagues are using the Boston Bowel Prep Scale, which has been validated, provides a separate score for the right side, the left side, and the transverse colon, as well as provides a validated tool to say whether or not the bowel prep in each of those three segments of the colon has been adequate. And as you noted, I think this study really emphasizes that we've got to be very careful in the rectum, maybe do a second look on FOSS. Certainly, I always do a second look in a retroflex position, but that the rectum is a place where a lot of cancers, or I should say a lot of lesions are missed as well. So you're really the expert on this. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you do to to minimize missed polyps and what you do to minimize incomplete resection? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to highlight some of the, you know, what I, how I approach this. Well, first off, like you mentioned, it's really important to optimize your bowel preparation and to have uh, the right protocol and to use the right scoring system to ensure that the bowel preparation is, has been optimized. And so uh, in addition to that, it is critical to use a high definition colonoscope with image enhancement capabilities to help detect and evaluate these subtle lesions, particularly in the right colon and also in the rectum. Secondly, you know, it's important to have a mindset for detecting flat polyps since these lesions are often missed. Um, third, you know, uh, I typically maximize mucosal exposure by working the folds and I teach my trainees uh, all the time really work those folds. And what do I mean by that? It's to really deflect the tip of the colonoscope into those inner haustral valleys and expose the proximal size of each haustral folds. It's important to clean and suction any stool debris and distend the lumen adequately. Uh, fourth, you know, um, similar to you, I perform two or three passes in the right colon and in the rectum, both in the forward view and the, retro, uh, and the retroflex view for the rectum. Um, I often uh, get asked about whether I perform, you know, it's important to perform a retroflexed view of the right colon. I typically just advocate, you know, uh, two views is better than just one view. So sometimes positioning may not allow yourself to be able to retroflex in the right colon, or you may not have the right scope um, to be able to do that uh, for the right colon. So ideally two passes in the right colon and two passes in the rectum, since these subtle lesions or flat lesions are often missed in this location as highlighted in this study. And lastly, when available, I often use a distal attachment device such as a clear translucent cap, or you can use an endocuff to help expose the proximal sides of each of those postural folds and improve mucosal exposure. In addition to missed lesions, um, as highlighted in this study and two previously published studies, you know, incomplete resection is crit a critical modifiable factor for PCCRCs. There are several tips and techniques I like to share uh, with my fellows and colleagues. First, give yourself time. Never tackle a polyp you cannot finish during your 
assigned time slot. And second, be incredibly humble and refer any complex polyp or challenging polyp uh, to a colleague or even a referral center that specializes in complex polyp resections. And third, always aim for on-block resection uh, using either conventional EMR or underwater EMR or ESD technique. And fourth, if on-block resection is just not possible or feasible, make sure to take wide margins and ablate those edges of the defect with soft tip coagulation after piecemeal EMR. And fourth, you know, carefully inspect that EMR defect or the ESD defect and remove any residual or visible islands using hot forcep avulsion. And lastly, you know, it's critically important to have good administrative recall. So emphasize to your patients that it's critical to come back for your surveillance colonoscopy in six months or within a year. You know, I really liked your point about being humble and giving yourself enough time to tackle a complex polypectomy. I know in my own practice, I, I might have 10 colonoscopies scheduled in a morning. And all of a sudden, I find a laterally spreading lesion in the right side of the colon that is going to be too much for me to handle. Uh, I'm not an advanced endoscopist. And certainly if I've got a bunch of people scheduled every 30 minutes for a colonoscopy, I'm not going to have enough time to do a complex EMR. So I've definitely learned that it's better to be humble, not try to tackle that complex polypectomy, do an inadequate job, and then leave a scar down mass for your uh, advanced endoscopy colleague. Yeah, that is something I've learned personally too, uh, you know, and I think uh, it's recognizing and having that humility uh, would really improve our patient outcomes. Well, thanks again for joining me today. And for our listeners, please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI in your favorite podcast platform and also follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at ACG underscore EBGI, where we host tutorials every Wednesday night. So thanks again for joining us today.